Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 3. And in this, this is lesson number eight. In, this, in, this, in part three in this series of lessons, we're examining the, uh, the delivered life, the life that's been delivered from self. The greatest deliverance you and I will ever receive is not a deliverance from demons. It's not a deliverance from sickness or disease. The greatest deliverance we will ever receive is the deliverance from ourselves. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And Jesus, as I taught in the last lesson, Jesus said, if any man will be my disciple, Luke nine twenty three, let him deny himself, disavow ownership of himself, take up his cross daily, the cross of self daily, literally in the Greek. Take up the cross of self daily and follow me. Be in close company with me and follow along with me. Paul declared that he did eventually reach the place of bearing his cross daily with Christ. He reached that place. That's the, That's what I want to talk about in this lesson. He definitively professed that he experienced the effects of accepting and submitting to accepting daily and submitting to his cross daily. Romans 8 verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep. Or the slaughter. Any one of these circumstances could cause a person to get bitter with God, offended at God, and walk away with God. But the crucified soul, the delivered life, does not get offended with God. Jesus said concerning John the Baptist, King James says, Blessed is he that's not offended in me. But the Lord was really saying there, uh, about John and to all of us. Blessed is he that's not offended in the way that I run his life. And Paul saying, I could get offended over tribulation. I could get offended over distress, over persecution, over famine, nakedness, peril, sword, that these things that you allow to come into my life, I could get offended over those things because these things are killing me all the day long because we're a sheep for the slaughter. But I accept these things because you're my God, you're my Father, you're my Shepherd. You love me, and I trust you to keep my selfish nature, my sinful nature, my self-will under your your power. Why are we killed all the day long? We are killed all the day long for his sake. Paul said, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. Why are we willing to die, deny ourselves, deny ownership of ourselves, and trust him in our circumstances all day, every day? Why are we willing to do that? We're willing to do that because of what he's done for us. And what has he done for us? What's he done for me? Well, I'll tell you what he's done for you. He's done for everybody. And he doesn't have to do any more than this. He does. He does do more, but he doesn't have to. He died for us. Well, here's the, here's the whole thought of this lesson. He died for us. 
And we're supposed to die for him. He died for us so that we could live. We need to die for him so that he can live through us. Ephesians says, chapter 2, verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, according to the, uh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision of the flesh made without hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being an aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one, Jew and Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The barriers that separated the the people of God from the old in the Old Testament from the people of God in the New. So that now there is not Jew or Gentile. There's only the people of God. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law, uh, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, how did he make peace? And that he might reconcile both of us, Jew and Gentile, unto God in one body by the cross, because he slain the enmity thereby. He took all that away. And what enmity are we talking about? Well, I, I, I am assuming that Jews can hate Gentiles, but history says, history can says that Gentiles have hated Jews from the beginning. The, the children of the uh, uh, concubine, child born of the flesh, Ishmael and his offspring, hated the child born of promise to the married wife, Sarah. And so it is today. Those who are serving God in the flesh hate those who are serving God by the Spirit and been born of the Spirit. It's still the truth today. But the Lord has brought together all these different factions and taken all the barriers that separate us out of there and make us one, whether we're different races, different nationalities, different backgrounds, different priorities, different whatever. He has removed those differences between us and made us one body in Christ. And only Christ can do that. No amount of laws, no amount of political correctness, no amount of intimidation, no amount of name calling can take the barriers away and make us one. We are one in Christ. Peter said, and you who were not a people have been made a people. To the glory of God. So Christ did all this by making peace. How do you make peace? By the cross. And came and preached to you who were afar off and to them that are nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. He's made us all equal now. There's only one way to get to God. Jesus said, the man Christ Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way to have access to the I am God is through the Logos made flesh. He is the visible image of the invisible God. 
He's the only visible representation of God we will ever see. And through him, everyone has access by one spirit under the Father. There's no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to do that. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. He's brought us all together, made us one. And you who were not a people are now made the people of God. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building, the spiritual building, fitly framed together groweth. A building doesn't grow, but the spiritual building does. Groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. And he explains what that means, the last verse of Second Timothy, uh, Ephesians 2, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. While Paul was crucified with Christ, he was made to understand that this place needed to be maintained by a continued surrender of self every day. So the Lord said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, disavow ownership of himself, and to take up the cross upon which self will die every day and follow me. And Paul expressed the fact that he did exactly that. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31, Paul said, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. I die daily. So this is... So critical to us. So critical to us. So Paul had the event experience. I am crucified with Christ. But then he maintained the results of that experience by taking up his cross daily, dying to self, disavowing ownership of self, and following Jesus, and letting Jesus live in him and live through him. And he said that same thing, from his personal testimony, a different way, First Corinthians fifteen thirty one. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. The Greek word, according to Strong's, there means for die means to die off, literally or figuratively. It's not just a simple word to die; it's to die off. This word comes from two root words. Again, is that Greek word of separation. Off and away, in composition is a prefix that usually denotes separation, departure, cessation, completion, reversal. And it also is the simple word to die, literally or figuratively. So when Paul said, I die daily, he was telling us it wasn't a simple act of, I was dead, now I'm dead, alive, now I'm dead, I'm dead, I die. No, it wasn't a giving up the ghost did an event, but it was a process throughout the day of living in separation from my own will and from the influences of my flesh. You can't do that. I can't do that. Paul couldn't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible to do unless God's doing it with us and through us. Unless he's doing it. We'll study in later verses where the scripture talks about if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of your body. It's only by the empowerment of the spirit 
We cannot do it ourselves. We cannot do it ourselves. Uh, Vine says that the word die off here again leaves me, literally means to die off or die out. It's of the, literally it's of the separation of the body from the soul. But also it's of separation of man from God. All who are descended from Adam not only die physically owing to sin, uh, but it also is the word for, uh, uh, being dead spiritually or separated from Christ. Believers have spiritually died to the law as a means of life and to sin and in general to all spiritual association with the world and with that which pertain to their unregenerate state because of their identification with the death of Christ. As life never means mere existence. So death, it never means the opposite of life. It means the opposite life never means non-existent. I'm going to read that again. I kind of messed that up. <laughs> this is this is Vine saying this. This is the last part of Vine's definition of this, this Greek word translated die off or die out. As life never means mere existence. So death, the opposite of life, never means non-existence. Never. So life never means mere existence. So I have life. Doesn't mean there isn't anything else that's there testing me with that life. And death doesn't mean no more problems, no more issue. Death means I've been set free from the power of it. And unless I choose to let myself come under the power of that which causes death again, I'm not going to experience that on a daily basis. Now, uh, as it was in Jesus's command, when Paul said, I die daily, you've got the two words again, same two Greek words that means throughout the day. Once again, once again, because we must continue in the flesh and in this world until the Lord determines that we are done. We must continue to live in the state of being crucified with Christ and dead to ourselves. This allows uh, him, uh, this allows us to be alive through him. In salvation, we receive life. In crucifixion with Christ, by dying out to self, we receive abundant life. This is what the Lord has done. This is what the Lord wants to do. This is the will of God. This is each of, this is his destination for each of us here and now. So many, so many of us, and, and my mother was attending United Pentecostal Church when I was born. So I've been attending church all my life. And, and, and I was sincere in it. I wasn't, she didn't have to force me to go. I was sincere in it. I wanted to go to heaven. As I don't remember there ever being a time in my life that it was okay with me to think that I could go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. For as, as early a life as I can remember, understanding there was a heaven and hell, I wanted to go to heaven. But <laughs> I wasn't always able to live in a way that would enable me to go to heaven. There are things I did that put me in disobedience, that put me outside of the realm of God's will, that put me outside the realm of God's authority, 
I chose to live by myself and by my will. I was, I was considered a good guy, a good person. I could list all the things I didn't do. All the things I didn't do. But I had an addiction. I was addicted to the most powerfully addictive thing in this entire universe, in the entire history of man. Nothing is more addictive to humans than what I was addicted with. Self-righteousness. I trusted in myself that I was righteous because I went to church. And I had been saved. So I had did what I did what they told me to do. I was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And I went to church like they told me to do. And I read my Bible sometimes like they told me to. And I prayed occasionally like they told me to. I I was obedient to the authorities over me in church. Well, I was like they told me to. I don't remember ever there being a time that disobedience or rebellion ever characterized me. That was never characteristic of my life. I, I always wanted to be obedient to authority. And yet, with all of that, my self-will was just as strong as anybody else's self-will. And because I was doing all the things I was being told to do, I justified my self-will ruling because uh, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. People like me. I'm, I, I'm a nice guy. I'm, I'm a good, good person. Some of you don't think so because you think telling someone the truth and telling it plainly so that there's no uh, question about what they're saying makes you mean. That's not mean. It means when you're trying to hurt somebody by telling them the truth. But love is telling somebody the truth even if they don't want to hear it. That's love. And so... People liked me. I was a good guy. Uh, I was a moral person. I was a moral person. And there was a period of time in my life where uh, there was no church to go to. And so my relationship with God waned because my relationship with the church wasn't there. And if you would have ever, if you would have asked me during that period of time, are you backslidden? I would have looked at you and said, no. I didn't change my belief because we didn't have it. My dad was stationed in a place there was no church to go to. I changed my beliefs. I didn't change who I was. I didn't change my convictions. I still did those things. But I was able to justify myself because there was no one to challenge me living by myself, doing what myself wanted to do. I became a backslider because the word says the backslider in heart is filled with his own ways. Or put another way, the backslider heart's the one that's doing his own will. That's the backslider heart. And by that definition, I was backslidden. And when we found a church to go to that we didn't know was there and it was close enough to go to, finally, I prayed back through because I was uh, fearful. Because I realized at some point God made it clear to me that I wasn't where I needed to be. And yet all that time, I was considered a good guy. Uh, I dated girls that weren't of my faith. And I didn't have a hard time getting dates, but it had nothing to do with looks or personality or whatever. Those girls knew that they could go out with me. They'd be treated respectfully. and I wasn't going to paw all over them, and I wasn't going to put pressure on them to 
give me their body in a, uh, in a moral way. I wasn't going to do all that. We had, we had a, a, a good time, and it was an honest and honorable, and I didn't let down on who I was to go out with these girls. And they, they went with me, and they never tried to pressure me into doing something else. And, uh, but I, I wasn't pleasing God. I wasn't doing the will of God. And so, thankfully, he led me back to him. Uh, where did you pray back through, Brother Wright? Was it a great church service? No. We had started back to church, and that accentuated to me my spiritual condition. And uh, one night, in the middle of the night, uh, I had a dream that the rapture took place and I was left behind. And I was, it was very real. And right there in the middle of the night by myself, I rolled out of my bed, got down by my bed in the middle of the night and repented on my own. I repented and prayed until the Lord renewed me in his spirit. And something really happened then. Even though I'd received the Holy Ghost at age 12, something really happened to me in that situation because I made a choice. Not It wasn't a choice I made because I was raised in the church and it was expected of me. This was different. This was between the Lord and I. Not that that couldn't happen in church, but it didn't. And I've told this testimony many times. When I went back to church, I really began to realize how empty I was. Well, that night, by my bed, at 18 years old, I just turned 18, down by my bed in the basement of our house where I was able to live at that age by myself, I got down by my bed, and I felt the Lord filling up this emptiness with his spirit. And I've made the statement, that's never, ever come back again. I have had the fullness of his spirit all these years. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the Lord has loved me enough. My friend, he loves you. He doesn't love me one bit more than you. And he is willing to not just have experiences with you, but have a relationship with you. The night of June the 7th, 1968, I walked into a church service two days after graduation from the Naval Academy. I was there early. I'd been four years without really having a church to go to regularly, and here was the beginning of my new life. I was going to be able to go to church regularly. I couldn't wait. I wanted to. I got there early, and there weren't very many people there, but there was a girl, a young lady, sitting at a piano down in the front, and the piano was so big it didn't fit on the platform. It was sitting in the altar area. It was over to the right side of the altar area, and it was facing this way. So she was sitting facing across the auditorium from my right to left, and uh, I met her there. I observed her in that service. I heard her. Mo- I found out her mother was an ev- the evangelist, and every night before her mother would preach, she would have my future wife uh, testify and sing, and it was powerful. She was very anointed, and uh, she was uh, very talented. She, her boy, she could sing, and it was convicting and moving, and she could play play the piano, play the accordion while she sang that night. And uh, she was beautiful and spiritual and talented, and I was sold. What an experience that was. 
But that's not where my relationship with her stopped. That's not where it stopped. My relationship with her, uh, less than five months later, we got married. And you can have your opinion about that. It doesn't matter. We did the will of God. And here, 51 and a half years later, I think the will of God has been confirmed uh, that that was the will of God. And uh, it has been relationship that all started with an experience. So we all have an experience with God. But I'm begging you not to settle for that. Don't let your flesh and your will get in the way of having a relationship with God. And you cannot have a true relationship with God while you live the life of doing your own will, your way, and asking God to bless it. And that is such a deception that we think that we can do our will. And as long as we pray and ask God to bless what we're doing, what we're doing, that that somehow justifies a life lived by our own will. It does not, my friend. It does not. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. I pray that the Lord would help you and I to see with his eyes, to hear with his ears, to have a heart that is able to perceive through his perception given to us that we might perceive, receive, believe, and walk with him and be saved. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you.